child all the way to the end and his beautiful wife who's my best friend who'll be with us the weekend of Billy Burke and this is what Perry put on the wall of his church that he pastored while he went through the greatest storm of his life God healed him and took him to heaven but he said father don't let what's wrong with me keep me from worshiping what is right with you and that was spoken by Perry Kite in the midst of his fiery trial. And I think that our worship should be that all the time. Don't let what's wrong with me keep me my dance. Come on, somebody. Don't let what I'm going through keep me from praising the one who has not changed. Don't let what I'm feeling hold my little feet down when they want to move. Because guess what? He is right. He is worthy. He is holy. He never changes. He never shifts. He is on his eternal throne forever and forever and forever. And he is always right. And he is always worthy of praise. On that note, praise him better than you praised him earlier. Come on. Come on. Praise him a little better than you praised him earlier. Awesome. One of my favorite scenes of the movie, um, uh, well, the book Hobbit, but it's coming out in DC. I'm trying to get several people, Matt Decker and others, to dress up in Lord of the Rings clothing and Angel. We're going to go to the premiere, so don't go with us if you don't be embarrassed, because I'm 51. I don't care what people think, okay? <laughs> Whatever I want to wear to the movies is my opinion, so don't come with me. If you're embarrassed or you're easily given to fears and trepidation of other people, just don't go, because you don't want to go with me, because I'm confident in the Lord. If I want to dress up like Lord of the Rings, I'm going to dress up like Lord of the Rings. Thank you, thank you. My sister's right here, see people that really love me but anyway but uh it is coming out in a movie and uh, but in the book there's an incredible scene that isaiah 43 does for you in just a moment and in that movie bilbo baggins is baggins to the core in fact the argument in the trailer of the movie that you can look at online he says i'm baggins and baggins of the baggins and but the great gandalf comes into the room wanting bilbo to be the hero on a journey wanting bilbo to be the one that steps up to the plate and he comes and tries to get Bilbo to do what he's going to do, but he, he won't. He just says, no, I'm Baggins, I'm Baggins. And then he brings in dwarfs, and they begin, they come from the Tukish side. Baggins is half Baggins and half Tukish. And they come in, they start throwing things out of his cabinet and jumping up and down on his couch. And still Baggins will not hear what Gandalf the Great says when he says, there's more to you than you know, Bilbo. There's more to you. You're chosen for this moment in this time. It's been appointed that you would be that person. Bilbo has a big cane of excuses as why he can't go out and swashbuck and go out and on this great journey. But what Gandalf knows is that his, half of his DNA is from the Tukish side. So he has the dwarfs begin to sing the ancient Tukish song. And they begin to sing this song and all of a sudden that side of Bilbo Baggins awakens. That side that running through his veins, that Tukish side. And all of a sudden Bilbo Baggins hears that ancient song of wandering through the woods and fighting dragons with a sword and putting down your cane of excuses and picking up the sword and fighting and being who you've been called to be in the story, who've been written, who you were written by J.R. Tolkien to be, of course, is that story. And all of a sudden he arises to be exactly what he was called to be. Let me tell you something. This morning as we sang, this morning as the word goes, goes forth, God is trying to awaken your God DNA in you. You see, I've got gals in me which can be sedentary. The baggins were sedentary. But there's a DNA flowing in me that comes from God. It says in Peter that when you see Christ, you get the incorruptible seed of Christ. That means there was an infusion that went in you. You got the DNA from the Godhead. When you think you can, 
he can. So this morning and through this word, God is trying to get you to put down your cane of excuses. He's singing songs from heaven to you. He's telling stories of your real ancestry. You can go home and you can Google Ancestry.com and you might find out that your great-great-grandmother was a butcher or your great-great-grandfather was a mass murderer of several in Boston. You can find everything you want to about your physical blood, but we need to tap into Ancestry.com that comes from the Word of God that tells you who your real ancestors are. When you received Christ, you received the blood of Jesus, the DNA of God Almighty. It is more powerful. It is stronger than whatever your mama gave you, whatever your daddy gave you. Well, come on, somebody. Whatever your grandparents gave you, you've got royal DNA in you. It can perform. It can do whatever God has called you to do. So look at your neighbor and say, there is more to you than you know. There is more to you than you know. And this is why God, who is greater than Gandalf, and you are greater than Bilbo Baggins, because he's a fictionary character, but you are a child of the Almighty God. This is what he says to everyone in the building. He's talking to you right now. And he says, this is what he who said who created you, he who formed you. And he who says to you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Everyone say, by name. Say, God knows my name. And then he gives that great clarion call. You are mine. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Add whatever effect Spielberg has and up it a hundred times. And hear the voice of the Lord say to you, verse 4, You are precious in my sight. You have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not. Look at your neighbor and say, fear not. For I am with you. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and you are my witnesses. Look at your neighbor and say, I am his witness. Now listen, one hand to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We pray you bring blessings to the word. Speak what even I don't speak. Holy Spirit, help me to speak only what is useful for this setting. Holy Spirit, open our ears, our hearts, our mind to hear there is more to us than you know. We have been called by name and summoned for a royal purpose. And God, we want our DNA to awaken today, our God DNA that sees things through the eyes of faith. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. One of my favorite, you can look up. I love it when he says, you are mine. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories. I try to tell this off the top of my hat um, about um, this beautiful poodle that was walking down the street. And three big dogs, or well, two big dogs, and one little one saw her coming. She was perfumed. Her nails were painted. And she saw them looking at her, and she knew that they all three were vying for her attention. So she walked right up to them, as only poodles can do. And she said, okay, you three, I know you're vying for my attention. There was
was a Labrador Retriever, a, a Great Dane, and then there was a little bitty Chihuahua. And she said, I'm going to challenge you to use in a sentence these two words intelligently, liver and cheese. So she looked at the Golden Labrador and he stepped up and he said, I hate liver and cheese. She said, oh my goodness, there's no creativity to that. There's no intelligence to that. There's no creativity. She looked at the Great Dane and said, what about you, big guy? And he said, I love liver and cheese. She said, oh, that's disgusting. There's no intelligence to that. She looked over and said, how about you, little small guy? And there stood the Taco Bell Chihuahua, Chihuahua standing in all of his finesse. He looked at the other guys, and he said, as only a Chihuahua can that was born south of the border, liver alone, she is mine. <laughs> so there you have it. In Isaiah 43, what God says is, Leave him alone. He's mine. Leave her alone. She's mine. God even says to you, leave yourself alone and let God speak to you because guess what? Fear not. He's called you by name. He's redeemed you. You belong to him. When you go through the waters, you belong to him. When you go through the fire, you belong to him. So somebody give God a shout of praise in the house. You have been called forth. Say, I have, I have. Been, been called forth. Um, Pastor Todd mentioned Wednesday night, I talked quite a bit at the book of Daniel, and I used that at Isaiah 4.3 in the NIV, and it says in there, you have been summoned by name. You've been called by name. And I love it when you pass through a place, and when God calls you forth, he doesn't call you by the name that kids called you while you were growing up. He doesn't call you the name of what you were. There's a lot of names that stuck to me growing up in my immaturity and the way I had. There's some names that kind of tried to stick to me in my young adulthood and even in my adulthood of wrong decisions and mistakes, names that stick to me. You see, the world will try to change your name, but when God calls you by name, he calls you by the name that he has given you. It's sometimes a name you may not know until you get to heaven. Hillary, when you stand before the Lord God, he will speak that name. Revelation 21 says he will give you a new name. It's a name he's called you. In the midnight hour when you don't know, he has summoned you and called you forth by the name that he has given you, not the name that the world has tried to give you. Oh, the world will try to give you lazy. Come on, somebody. The world will try to give you the name of failure. The world will try to give you the name of procrastinator. The world will try to give you the name of nothing good can ever come out of her name. But guess what? When God calls you by name, he calls you by the name that he has given you. In the very throne room of the Most High God, what he has spoken over you. Somebody give him a praise this morning for a new name. When the Hebrew children were in Babylon, they tried to give them new name. They tried to give Hananiah the name Shadrach, which means inspired of a coup. They tried to give Meshach the name of belongs to a coup, which was their false gods. They tried to give, um, uh, let's see, Abednego the name of Azariah. They tried to give him the name of Abednego, which means servant of Nego. You see, they tried to give them names that made them labeled and titled of who they 
they were. But I believe when they walked through the fire and the fourth man came with them and they saw him, I believe that that Isaiah 43 was being played out and God was summing them by name. I believe Jesus was coming behind them in the fire and I don't believe he was calling them Abednego, Shadrach, and Meshach because that was what the world gave them. But I believe he spoke their Hebrew names, which their mother named them before the foundation of the earth, which God ordained that you and I would hear him and know. I believe he came behind him saying, Hananiah, whose name means Yahweh is gracious. Hananiah, don't give up. I'm calling you by name. Mishael, which means who is what God is. Who is can compare to what God is. Who can do what God can do. There is no other. When God summons you and speaks your name in the fire, he does not speak the name of your past or speak what others call you or what a teacher called you or what someone who betrayed you called you or someone that hated you called you. He speaks the name that he sees and when he got to Abednego, he spoke Azariah is your name, I believe, because God has helped. How many are thankful today that somewhere in the faith of your very heart and mind, God speaks the name that he has sealed and decreed that you will be throughout all eternity. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. What this morning we've got to tap in to know that there is more to us than we know we've got to tap in to our faith. Let me tell you something. You can lose your house and you will survive. You can lose your car and you will survive. You can lose your, your people in your life and you will survive. You can lose your job and you will survive. You can lose every silver and gold in your house, every dollar, every treasure. You can lose everything that you have ever said made you who you are. Every single piece of everything, every relationship you've ever had. You can be called to some distant land and have nothing but yourself. But you are not as bankrupt as the man who has no faith but has everything. Come on. As long as you've got faith, you are not bankrupt. As long as you believe in God. You are not bankrupt. Come on, somebody. Give God a hand clap of praise. You've got to, I'm going to be throwing papers up here. Hold on to your faith. And I love that God says, I am he and there is no other, Tiffany. Reminds me of Daniel book where it says the ancient of days sat down. He sat down on his throne and seated around him with ten thousands of ten thousands. And it says the ancient of days sat down. I love it when my kids would try to pull something over me. Anybody had your kids ever try to pull something over you? Come on now. If you got a kid, they've tried to pull sometime when they're very little. Of course, very little. Not when they're the age of my perfect children. But when they were very little, they would try to pull something over you. And what did, you, what did your mama say to you that you said to your kids? Do you think I was born yesterday? Do you think for a moment I was born yesterday? Let me tell you something about he who is calling you forth today. Let me tell you something, and not Gandalf, but the Lord God Most High, creator of the ends of the earth, the ancient of days, which means he was before yesterday, since God began, since, I mean, before time began, God was, and God will be from the very first to the very end. That means the ancient of days says to you today to call forth your God DNA, do you think I was born? yesterday? Do you think I sat on the throne of ancient days? Do you think they gave me the name of ancient of days because I was born yesterday? No, I was not. I am the same God of yesterday, today, and forever. Someone say hallelujah. I can tell you this, you've got to hold on to your faith. 
in the beginning God spoke out and called out his bride he called out his bride in a place of Eden and in a place of Eden where Adam and Eve were it didn't look like they were the church the church of Jesus Christ the church that would come out of Eden the church that would evolve into the generations and into this day we are that church say we are the body of Christ say we are the bride of Christ today we join brothers and sisters in every time zone all across the universe who are the bride of Christ and when you look into the garden and you see Adam and Eve you see that there was a moment when they sinned we all know about that but there was a moment when God threw a mantle upon Eve when God carved an animal and he put those skins upon her shoulder and upon Adam's shoulder. And when he did, what he was saying is, there is more to you than you know. In your nakedness, I will cover you. And I will cover you with the blood of my son. And it's amazing because he says this to Adam and Eve. And he says this to you. He says and he calls them serpent crushers. He says, and the serpent will bruise your heel, but you will, many translations say, crush his heel. Let me tell you something. When God calls you, summons you, and speaks your name, God never reminds us of our smallness when he calls us to do something awesome. If the TV reporters have been there, if CNN had been there, if Fox had been there, and they saw Eve and everything going on in her life, do you think for a moment they would have thought, I mean, let's just think about this. You have a humongous endeavor. You need to hire someone. You need to assign someone to a task. You're looking for the most awesome person to carry, the brightest possibly, the most powerful person that can do something for you. I mean, there's only three people in my life I even let keep my children when they were growing up, and only a couple that have ever kept my dog. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, I know that's right. God looks for someone to partner with. God looks for someone to carry the gospel. And God finds it in these two first creatures called Adam and Eve. I mean, he puts yourself in God's shoes. Put yourself there. And God says, there is more to accomplish amazing God-sized stuff. I'm going to use you. And he casts that mantle on Eve. I often like to think, and it comes dramatically to me, as most things do, that in that moment, my friends, when Eve sinned in that moment when Adam and Eve had to walk out of the garden in that moment when they're walking out I like to believe that maybe God followed them just singing the Bible says the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee he will rejoice over thee in singing he will rest in silent satisfaction according to Zephaniah I like to think that when he sings in silent satisfaction he sings over the troubled spots in your life and my life because he already knows how they work out he already already knows the end. Someone say hallelujah. He already knows how they end. And I like to believe, Robert, that as they're walking out covered in skins and the Eden is dying and the angel goes to guard Eden from anyone coming in and it looks like all hope is lost. It looks like nothing can survive this. Nothing can arise out of the charred ruins of their wrong decisions. Nothing can be built. But God has just said, he has just spoken and he said through his word, 
I will use you. There will be enmity between you and the seed of the serpent, but I will use you to crush his head. I believe as they're walking out and all looks hopeless and lost, I believe even Adam held on to that word, and I'd like to see the video someday, Tiffany, because I believe that maybe God walked behind them singing the same way he comes behind you singing in the lowest moments of your life. Watch this. I like to believe that he's singing, and I like to believe that Lucifer and some of his lieutenants are on the other side. And Lucifer says, sends one of his lieutenants, go over there and follow him. See what he's singing. How could he be singing right now? How could he be singing? How could he be singing a song when they have just been cast out and I've ruined everything? How could he be singing? I believe that one of them got over there because I believe the devil had said to God in that moment, what are you going to do now, God? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now that I've ruined everything? And isn't that what the enemy says to us in different times of our life? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Now that I've come in and invaded your gates, now that I've shaken your timbers, now that I've thrown all this on you, what are you going to do now? How are you going to respond? But I believe that God began to sing possibly one of my passages that I love in Jeremiah 33. You say of this place that is desolate and this place that is without joy. You say of this place that's without beast or man. You say this place that has nothing go on in it. I want you to know there shall be heard once again in this land the voice of joy and the voice of gladness. The voice of the bride and the voice of the bridegroom. The voice of them that say the Lord is good. His mercies endure forever. I'd like to believe that in the lowest. Come on and give him praise. That's worthy to give him praise for. In the lowest moments of your life. I'd like to believe you've got to hold on to your faith that God is singing in this moment you say is desolate. In this moment you say is dry. In this moment that you say is hopeless. There shall be heard again. The voice of the bride and the bridegroom was important because it meant life is going to go on. The voice of man, the voice of them who have said it looked bad, it looked horrible, but God said that he's going to redeem something out of it and once again in this dry place, my prodigal children, my prodigal grandchildren, my situations that look impossible, God shall be glorified. And those that will say, the Lord is good, his mercy endureth forever. Somebody give God a shout of praise. A Micah 4 and 13 to say that there is more to you than you know you're being summoned, says I'm remaking you into a people invincible. Nobody likes the process of being made invincible. That dress is the bride of Christ. No one likes being made invincible. I don't want to be invisible, but being made invincible. But he says in the message, I'm remaking you into a people invincible. You see, God summons people forth in moments that they don't look like they could do what God has called them to do. He summoned Abraham forth. God decreed something, declared something in all utter sense of the word was an impossibility. You can argue with God about the absurdness of his word. Anybody ever had that argument? Your word is absurd, God. Your word is absurd. What you just spoke over that marriage is absurd. 
What you just spoke over those finances is absurd. What you just decreed over a man whose body is as good as dead is an utter impossibility. But faith is faith when you take it off of yourself and put it on the reality of a living God who gives life to those things that were dead and calls those things that were not as though they were. Come on, somebody. And let me tell you, in this age of cynicism, this age of doubt, this age of skepticism, this age of new age, this age of uncertainty, cynicism is born out of disillusionment. Everyone say disillusionment. Disillusionment comes to you as the bride of Christ when you thought that immediate answers were coming. We've watched too many fairy tales. We've watched too many Cinderella stories. We've watched too many shows that wraps everything up. Come on, somebody. In 42 minutes. So Jack Bauer can wrap it up in 42 minutes? Well, why can't God? Well, you know, we can ask him that when we get to heaven. But what we do know is his purposes are eternal. Someone say his purposes are eternal. And often that uncertainty, that disillusionment, it comes in. It creeps in to rob you of the very thing. You lose your house, you can use your faith to get another house. You lose for a moment your health, you can use your faith to get some more health. You lose your hope for a moment, you can lose your faith to find hope. You lose your job, you can use your faith to find a job. You lose your spouse, like my best friend on the planet Earth, my female best friend, Miss Melissa Kite. You can lose your husband when you thought it wouldn't happen, and arise with your faith and go forward into a future that no one deemed possible by faith. You know what? So much favor comes on my friend. And I told her the other day, because we talk about four times a day, she's a sanguine, so she wants to talk that much. It was up to me. We talk once a week. But please don't tell her that. I'll text her that this afternoon as well. But I said to her, you know what? This is the deal. I said, the favor that's come on you is not just because you're a widow. The favor is your faith. It's your faith that inspires people. It's your faith that turns head. You see, the enemy wants to come in in disillusionment and rob you of the greatest treasure. You can lose everything. Dr. Mike Murdoch stood on the courthouse steps, Pastor David. His first, his wife, his only wife he ever had, divorced him, took him for everything he had. He had to declare bankruptcy. She took his child away from him. He stood on the courthouse steps, I think it was about 35 years ago or 30, and standing there, he had nothing. And all of a sudden, God said, when you've got nothing left but God, you've got enough to start again. He went home. It's like one pastor's illustration. He sat at the keyboard. He sang. He put music to it. He, he still sings that song on Daystar. He does their share every year. When you've got nothing left but God, you've got enough to start over. From that royalty led to another royalty. From that royalty led to another royalty. I know people that personally work for him. He is a multi-millionaire who stood on the courthouse steps and had nothing left but God. But when you've got nothing but faith, you've got enough to start again and see a future you never thought possible. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Our certainty dwells and all who hope in him will never be disappointed. Someone say never be. 
Our security, our anchor is in Proverbs 8 and 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Our faith is based on some may trust in horses and chariots. Some may trust in the ways of the world. What they've got, what they don't have. Do they have the right clothes? Do they have the right boss? Do they have the right house? Do they have the right car? Do they have the right defender? Do they have this? Do they have that? But the, the Bible says, but we will trust only in one thing. Our trust will be found in the name of the Lord, for they are brought down who trust in horses and chariots. They are fallen who trust in the ways of the world. But the Bible says, but we are risen and we stand upright and the just shall still live by faith in 2012 September. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. I'm enjoying this this morning. You go ahead, Mr. Politician, and believe whatever you want to do, but I'm going to believe God. You go ahead, Mr. School Teacher, and believe whatever you want to believe, but God created man out of the dust. You go ahead, atheist, and believe whatever you want to believe, but I'm going to believe the God I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. You see, you go ahead, Mr. Media. You go ahead you NBC you bunch of mm, 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 mm. you go ahead and mock and throw mud on anyone that speaks the name of God you make a mockery MESNBC all over the world you make a mockery of God you go ahead and burn our flags in Turkey you go ahead in foreign countries and curse the God that we serve but let me tell you the ancient of days still sits on the throne and I know I've put my trust in him and my trust stays in him somebody give God a shout of praise. Matthew Abraham believed of God. He believed in God when God summoned him. We spend a lot of time thinking about what won't work. We spend too much time. Abraham had a long list, but there was more to him than he knew. He was summoned. You can spend your time focusing on everything you don't have, or you can spend your time focusing on the resurrection power of Christ. You can focus on that. Doubt and uncertainty come. You can focus on who he is. Our faith needs to arise in the confidence to believe that we are who he says that we are. And when the heat of pain and problems come upon us, we could crawl off the altar or we could stay and be living sacrifices and endure for his sake. The very favorite thing that Paul told his son that I used to teach in school of ministry, endure hardness, Timothy, like a good soldier. You see, a bride, a body of Christ, has to endure hardness as a good soldier. Oh, we don't understand. I just did a, a Joni show. I'll, I'll show that sometime on a Wednesday night about that whole theory. We don't know about that no more. We don't know about enduring hardness in a marriage. We don't know about enduring hardness at a job. We don't know about enduring hardness in our economy. We don't know about enduring hardness with our kids, our relationship. We don't know about enduring hardness and, 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 and having to push through. Hey, we all are tightening our belt these days. I don't know anybody. My very rich friends have tightened their belt. I could tell you some stories that make you laugh of being there, friends of mine in Chattanooga, but to them, they're going through a hard time. They've tightened their belt. There's not a soul on earth, young people, whose parents aren't saying to them, we got to tighten our belt. Listen, we endure hardness. Hardness might be in our world, but we know God holds our future. Whatever it looks like, when faith doesn't feel good, we're not going to walk through this place with flimsy little bitty little bitty faith that says, as long as I feel good, as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm jiving, driving, and y'all got me at the top, I'm good. Faith says, when he puts me at the bottom momentarily, that he might raise me up, I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to hold on to him. 
him. My faith is going to be with him. You see, we don't like it when God lowers the odds. But Romans 8 and 38 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, power, nor things present engaged, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other creature can separate me from love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Someone say yes. yes. Hebrews 10 and 32, if you're making notes. I can't go there, but it says, Paul says, I call you to remembrance the former days when you were illuminated and you endured. I call you to remembrance. God told Jacob, go back to Bethel. I love that passage. Go back to Bethel, Jacob. Go back to the place where there was an open portal. The woman that works with John Maxwell that came and prayed around our church on that very pivotal Tuesday, not knowing anything, and, and marched around her until she physically threw up. A wonderful, smart, educated, beautiful woman that runs an incredible ministry in Atlanta. But she said the Lord told her, and she sent me a text two days ago, there's an open portal over this building. And that's when she sang, um, this is my song in the desert. She went around and around. No weapon formed. She knew nothing would stand. You know what? There is an open portal over all of us. Sometimes we have to get in the place that we remember it. And he, God said to Jacob, go back. Go back so you can be renewed. I love it when Paul says, I want to present you virginal to Christ. Which means the water of the word can renew you so completely that you feel like you never belong to anybody else. You feel like you never belong to prostitutes. You never belong to that sexual situation you had. You never belong to your mistake. That you can be so renewed. And at, Jake, at Bethel, Jacob was facing new odds in his life. But he was being summoned and called out to be Israel. God was going to speak a new name over him. And he was going to come out of deception, out of trickery. You might be in a place that you think you're tricking and deceiving everybody. But God will call you out if you allow him to who you are to be. God will call you out to that which you have not seen yet. You may be struggling with issues that you don't want anyone in this room to know about right now. But God will call you out by name. He said, Jacob, get back to Bethel. Go to where you saw the ladder going to heaven. I love that because I go over to 740. I've told you over by Lee where my heart was healed. And I went over there yesterday and I thought about there must have been such a portal there because angels must have been coming up and going down because God came in and just healed a marriage that had been divorced for three years and healed a girl's heart that said, she would never go back that way. He'd already redeemed and restored and raised Hank Davis to be the mighty man of God preaching across the world as a single evangelist believing for his wife. But there I was thinking that my life would stay where it was but God summoned me and I was thinking Matthew that there must have been a portal because no demonic influence could come in. God says when his plans are spoken and come to pass no enemy's plans can thwart the purposes of God. I don't know about you but I need to be reminded of that this morning that his plans and purposes for my future are so sealed that he opens up a portal over me and angels are descending and ascending so no principality no power ever wants to be where a portal has been opened no spirit of temptation no spirit of lust no spirit of discouragement wants to come near when God opens up a portal and so many angels are moving so quickly you see them going up and down we need to pray for a more open portal over our life, over our families, over this church, that the angels of God would descend and ascend and the glory of God would be poured out, that people could not even stand, that addiction would be freed by our merciful Jesus. Somebody praise him one more time. He said, Jacob, remember. Do you remember when he illuminated you? Do you remember when he called you? Do you remember when he said your name, when you got saved, when he snatched you out? You didn't snatch yourself out. He chose you. He called you. 
I found Jesus. You didn't find Jesus. He wasn't lost. He found you. He summoned you. You are his. You belong to God. Young people, you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to any boyfriend. You don't belong to your clothes. You are, you are in care of your parents. But ultimately, you belong to the Lord. That's the number one thing my daughters will tell you that I tell them almost weekly. You belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Jacob was reminded in that place where the heavens had opened, he was being summoned and God was saying, Jacob, there's more to you than you know. I know you've deceived, you've tricked, you've done some really horrible things. You stole your brother's birthright. But I opened up the heaven because I wanted to tell you, I've summoned you. You're going to be my witness of what I'm going to do in your life. And everyone in 2012, they're going to sit in a room, 3900 Atkinson Drive, and they're going to talk about you and how I summoned you so they might find strength and faith and encouragement through in their DNA that comes from God, that he summoned them. You Sometimes you've got to get to a place where you say, Lord, renew me. Lord, let me call to remembrance the days when you, when you illuminate me. And I think sometimes, Pastor A.C., that is being illuminated, Pastor Hank, into when he called us. When he called Pastor Hank, he called him as a lamb among wolves. I wish God had never said that over him. But for all these years, he's worked among wolves. But God knew he could be entrusted to represent the Lamb of Glory among addicts and among people that would not see the ways of Christ. You see, God summoned you this morning as he summoned Jacob as Bethel. Remember when I first spoke to you. Let me tell you something so powerful about your faith. I've been to Capernaum. I've seen Peter's house. I've been to Bethlehem. I see where they think Jesus was born. Not too impressive. It's like a Greek place where people burn incense. Ugh. I've been to Judea wilderness in the valley of the shadows. I looked out over that valley as I stood there and you see where David was talking about though I walked through the valley of the shadow you see there was barely room to get through and that's the way you feel when you're passing through a valley you look down at that it's so big you go to Mount Carmel and you see where Elijah stood and, and challenged the prophets of Baal you look down off of Carmel and you see Armageddon where the last great fight will come and Jesus will conquer all of our enemies you look out over upon the Sea of Galilee the Mount of Beatitudes you go to the Eastern Gate of Jerusalem you go to Mount Olives you go to the Garden of Gethsemane. I've seen all these things and I've been to the tomb with a skeleton in God's closet. Come on somebody. I've seen all of these things but if all of those things were to destroy, if I had never gone to Israel, if I had never been there, his spirit bears witness with my spirit that he is indeed the eternal God of the universe and Jesus is the lamb. Come on somebody. If you think for a moment that you've always got to touch into faith feeling good, you can't. This bride, this Eve, this Jacob, this Abraham, this you. Faith will not always feel good. Um, Pastor AC, you're closer. Would you mind helping me, sir? Um, playing with me. You see, this is the point we are right now. Faith doesn't always feel good. Wendy's faith has not felt good lately. Wendy it, it was just struggling like we do over why am I in Hope House? doing the right thing and my mama's going through this sickness she's struggling so we we just took some time and I'd, I'd take a break and the other girls you'd been so proud of them Pastor David they was hitting the ball out of the I'd take a break and one of them would throw in their ball and we just preached and we talked to encourage her that sometimes faith doesn't feel good sometimes there's moments when chill bumps aren't there 
But when you know you've been summoned, when he has spoken to you, that you've been called for such a place and a time, when you've got the DNA of God in you, you've got to do whatever you have to do to tap into that DNA. You know, a lot of people search their ancestries. And then they study, well, my great-great-grandfather was a butcher, so I've got the DNA to be a butcher. My great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was a slave, so I've got the ability to be free. We spend so much time researching those things. You've got to learn when your faith doesn't feel good. You've got to tap in to the call and the summons of God and the DNA of the great Word of God that's in you. You've got to shut out everything else. And you've got to remember, my faith will not always feel good. My faith will not always have chill bumps. If God could open the doors of heaven this morning and we could see our spiritual fathers who surround us, our real ancestors, the Deborahs, the Isaacs, those who conquered kingdoms, shut the mouth of lions, raised the dead, obtained their promises. If we could call them up to testify this morning, if somehow each one of them could step up, these ordinary men like you, you carry the same DNA, the God DNA in you that did great exploits. I believe they would say, we'd say, did faith always feel good to you? Did faith feel good to you, Joseph? Oh no, when I was in prison for 12 years, when my brothers collapsed at my feet in fear of what I might do to them, and I said, it's okay what you meant for evil, God meant for good. No, faith did not feel good. Did you have chill bumps, young David, running from Saul? How did you deal with that, fleeing for your life when you had done everything right, still believing that there would be a Jerusalem and you would sit on the throne there? Did your faith feel good? Absolutely not. But I held on to God. If I lost everything, I knew I still had him. Someone say amen in this house. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when you were going through the furnace, you were saying, God will deliver us. But even if he does it, we're not going to bow. We're going to serve him. Even if this doesn't turn out the way we hoped that it would plan, our faith is not built on circumstances. Our faith is not built on a fairy tale. Our faith is not built on 42 minutes that God can turn my situation around. My faith is not built on what others perceive he's doing. Father Abraham, did faith feel good when your body was as good as dead? And he kept speaking to you about something that had to aggravate you. Sometimes God speaks to you and he just makes you mad. Come on, am I the only one? You want to throw that promise on the shelf. You want to throw that thing on the back burner. And God keeps resurrecting it like a Lazarus from the grave. Come on, somebody. And he kept resurrecting that promise. Did faith feel good? No. What about you, disciples? Did faith feel good when you were turning the world upside down, 11 of you? Persecution rapidly breaking out against you? They said you were in a cult. They said you had wild sexual orgies, according to Josephus. They said you were cannibals. Did you know the New Testament church was called cannibals? Did faith feel good? You know I'm going to go here if you've been with me all. Did faith feel good, New Testament church, when they brought your children into the middle of the arena and dressed them like sheep? let wolves devour them because you would not renounce Christ? Did faith feel good while you saw your children? I honor the blood of martyrs. I don't speak half hardly about this. Did faith feel good, brothers and sisters, appearing from heaven? 
when because you stood for Christ, they let lions and raging beasts tear your children limb to limb. All that was left was blood and bones in the middle of the arena. And then they killed you. Did faith feel good? Did you have goosebumps? Did you feel like you were on top of the mountain? Did you wish CNN had caught you on tape? Did faith feel good? From the blood carpet of heaven this morning, I believe the New Testament church would say to you today, no, faith didn't feel good. No, I didn't have goosebumps. But I kept my eyes on Jesus who endured such contradiction in his fight to Calvary. I kept my eyes on the author and the finisher of my faith who those casting lots at his cross would later eat dinner around a table and frivolity and drink wine after they'd crucified the Lord of glory. I kept my eyes on Jesus who never let go when he stood alone in the garden, when he pushed down the Via Della Rosa Miche, when everybody was missing that he had healed at Calvary, when Brian Bartimaeus didn't show up, the man healed at Bethesda didn't show up, the widow's son that he had raised at the grave didn't show up, None of the miracles he had performed showed up in his darkest hour. Everyone he'd planted in, everyone he'd healed, everyone he'd helped. In that moment of his aloneness, they weren't there. But he kept his eyes of an eye of tiger, persevering, enduring hardness to the very end that he might glorify God with his life because he was summoned before the world began. The lamb was slain. He was summoned. There was more to him than he knew. He endured such contradiction. He went to Calvary. He died on that cross and was resurrected to the Father's right hand because God summoned him for such a moment. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise in this house. Paul, did it feel good? After you had given everything for the church, sir, did it feel good after you had been shipwrecked, beaten? Nobody would have voted you Time Magazine Pastor of the Year. You gave everything to your disciples. You only had one Timothy, sir. You gave everything you endured. They stoned you. You wrote from prison, sir. Chained. Such words of faith, I feel at times unworthy to read them. But I know they came from Holy Ghost. Straight through you. Sir, after all that, how did your faith feel when they led you to the chopping block? Did you have goosebumps? I bet you didn't want to sing a happy song. How did it feel when they put your head on there according to Josephus? And cut your head off in front of Nero who was evil. In that moment he thought he had won. But history says that as your head rolled, it continued to sing in tongues the whole way it rolled away from its body proving oh grave where is thy sting oh death where is thy victory for Christ has swallowed it up 
sir, if you could say one thing to us, you would say it was only a moment. The eternal glory outweighs it all. If we could have the veil unturned and we could see you in glory, sir, you would speak from your writings in scripture where you said, don't make it forever. Any trial, any affliction, don't make it forever. The eternal weight of glory far exceeds it all. I know you didn't have goosebumps, but I believe you would say to us, remember Christ. Dig through your swamp mind like a grave covered with dirt and pull out a clear vision of Christ. He endured. He committed to stay in one spot no matter how difficult. He did it for the joy that was set before him. Oh, pull out your mind and your memory of Christ. He knew everything and he trusted himself into the arms of the Lord God who would welcome him and say, you are my beloved son. If you're thankful for Jesus before I finish, give him the best praise. Give your Savior, your Redeemer, your Lord. You are summoned. You are called today. There is more to you than you know. Paul knew I was part of his lineage. <laughs> he knew you were. He knew you'd read his words. In hard times, they would feed you. Oh, the miracle night. He knew it was worthy of the cross because it would live on forever. And what we're all doing in these moments of our life shall and will live on in the lives of others. Faith doesn't always look good. Faith doesn't always feel good. But faith will get you up. You're being summoned to be this bride of Christ, this royal Eve, this royal Abraham, this royal Isaac, this royal sons and daughters of the Most High God. You're being summoned. You see this bride of Christ, Austin? Taylor, thank you. This bride, she looks so delicate. She's perfect and form. Beauty surpasses. She's been walked through the fire of affliction. She's walked through trials and triumphs. She looks glorious. Revelation 21 says, I saw a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven like a bride adorned for her bridegroom. She looks delicate. She looks holy. She looks glorious. But don't be confused of who she is. She has faced Satan in the caverns of the dam. She has faced discontentment. She's walked through landmines of discouragement. She's crawled sometimes across the blood of those who paved the way before her by their own blood, sweat, and tears. She has had to pull herself sometimes through the valley to get to the next mountain. She's fought with lions. She's fought with betrayal. She's fought with, lo fought with loss. They said that there was no hope for her in many seasons of her life, but she kept her feet firm in the faith of God, because this bride, she lifts up the bottom of her dress to reveal what she's wearing. This bride wears combat boots full of the faith, come on somebody, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody stand in this house. Keep that picture up there. Somebody stand in this house. You are full of God. DNA. Your feet are anchored in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody, I'm done 
praying for one minute, then we're going to pray over knees. Come on. Come on. Somebody just put your hands together. Praise him. Praise him for the DNA he's given you, the DNA that won't quit. Not from your mama, not from your daddy, but from the most high God. You are being summoned for this time and for this hour. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to ask right now that everyone just moves up front. Just come and stand. We're going to pray over needs and have a moment to respond to this word. Just 